0: Hi everyone, and welcome or welcome back to How to Activism, the living, breathing, never-ending guide to teenage activism. I'm your host, Lila Eamon-Lucas. Let's dive right in. All right, so I'm introducing a new section of <laughs> Alright, so I'm introducing a brand new section to start off my podcast. Um, I'm going to try it out and see if I like it. But uh, it's called Cheers and Jeers. So I'm going to say one thing uh, I really like that just is going, is going well either for me or that I just really appreciate. And one thing that um, I've noticed that is irritating Um, so I'm going to start this week and I'm going to do the negative one first because uh, everyone knows it's good to hear bad news before good news. Uh, so the first thing my jeer is I uh, have been practicing driving a lot. So I've been going out on drives since I have a permit and, uh, I've been noticing a lot of people walking around without face masks on. And there are, it's, well, okay, it's kind of 50-50, but it's just sort of irritating in general to see as many people out walking around as I am. Since I'm in a car with the windows rolled up, uh, I'm sort of still self-isolating, but I've tried to really only go outside to do essential things, which, since I'm not grocery shopping for my family, is uh, just walking the dog. So, um, it's sort of frustrating to see, like, people who are, like, going, like, I don't know, I'll see, I'll see so many people who are obviously, like, neighbors or good friends or something, who are trying to go, like, on social distance walks or something, and, like, one woman's in the street, and the other's, like, on the sidewalk, but they're not really six feet away, or, like, they're yelling to hear each other, or, like, they end up just kind of, like, slowly getting closer and closer on the sidewalk, and it, I don't know in general I just feel like that's not social distancing um we're almost at least I'm in Washington and we've been in quarantine at this point for almost two months my school was canceled I think exactly two months ago but um places like Italy and Spain and China um basically most of them had their lockdowns for two months uh, and then slowly started easing restrictions, but they were able to do that because the government was able to handle everything so well that uh, once two months was over, it was actually safe to come out, and as much as it's really hard to, like, admit this, like, I don't want social distancing guidelines to ease up because, like, we've barely figured out how to start testing people, and, like, I, the testing is not even contained, so, uh, in most of the country, so, um, I think we just need to stay quarantined, uh, and it's a bummer that people aren't aren't limiting what they're doing, basically to essential trips like to the doctors or to um, like take pets on a walk or basically to get groceries. Um, and it also stinks that we can't um, start safely lifting guidelines now in America when other places are able to start doing that. Uh, and on a half-year note, my cheers is to healthcare workers. Um, I've been listening to a lot of really impactful podcasts that have featured healthcare workers, like doctors and nurses, and it's, like, obviously we know that, like, they're going just through, like, an incredibly stressful time, but... um Listening to like the psychological impacts of this, not just the physical impacts of like 20 hour shifts and not being able to see their families, but just like the the stress and like the unexplainable, almost kind of unexplainable like mental drain that it's had is um it's it's really um it's stuck with me. So um my cheer is to all of them. So thank you, healthcare workers. So those of you who know me in real life know that um, I'm kind of obsessed with the idea of taking a gap year in Latin America. Uh, I don't quite know where I want to go. I kind of just want to go everywhere right now. Um, but I'm having a really good time in quarantine, <laughs> I'm reading like guidebooks and travel blogs and like packing lists on Pinterest and like basically every single travel thing i can find i i've started a gap year planning composition notebook with all this stuff even though it's still 3 years out for me just because um i mean kind of partially it's been a coping mechanism of being trapped in my house but also um it's been it's been just like kind of fun i sort of never realized how fun how much joy I get out of, like, planning things, which sounds really dorky, because I've always loved organizing, um, but I guess planning is the next phase. <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, I obviously have been really into the travel aspect of going to Latin America, um, but I also have recently been really interested in the cult. well, not the culture, but I guess the history, um, I, we, we got to do this project in my rhetoric class where we got to, like, choose a topic to study, basically, and then give a presentation on it, which fit into, like, a rhetoric speech format that we were supposed to give it in, um, but it was very freeform, which I really liked, uh, so I chose to study U.S., I guess the history of colonization of the U.S. to Latin America, um, Maybe colonization isn't the right word, Um, maybe more like interference or something, Um, but I guess just like the U.S.'s obsession with trying to micromanage and control Latin American countries, Um, and this sort of started actually when uh, we studied Iran in my history class, um, because I think sort of the only thing that I knew about Iran and like I feel really bad saying this out loud but like I feel like the only kind of image I had in my mind of Iran before we started studying it was like basically like Iranians like burning an American flag and chanting like death to America and I I knew that like uh, like the U.S. had done a lot of I, I assumed the U.S. had done a lot of horrible things to them um But I didn't really know, and I just didn't, I don't know, I I just didn't really know. So, um, our our, like, guiding question throughout the unit was, um, why, why is the relationship between America and Iran, like, fraught? And, um, like, why do Iranians hate Americans? Which, obviously, is a major generalization. That wasn't, like, the specific question, but that was, like, a question that we explored and, uh, it was really interesting, like, we also talked about, like, is it justified, um, which, obviously, after learning about it, um, completely, um, to put a long story short, if you don't know, um, it kind of goes back to the 60s, when Iran, when the U.S., um, basically staged a coup, um, and worked with, um, the UK, but it was mainly, oh, sorry, it was 1953, the US worked with the UK to oust the, um, nationally beloved and democratically elected president, um, because basically they had a system like England, where it was, like, a president and, um, a royal figure, like how there's, um, a queen and a president in England, and, like, Boris Johnson, but they basically, like, got rid of the Boris Johnson figure, the, the presidential figure, and then just gave all power to the queen, the, the monarchy of Iran, uh, which destabilized the country and, and was totally devastating and awful and unfair because um, the monarch and the president had opposing political views and Iranians voted uh, for this president to basically nationalize oil so that Iranians would stop basically having their oil stolen from, um, Western countries, and, uh, that didn't happen because the, the president was ousted, um, so it, that was sort of, like, my first introduction into the U.S., and it's just, like, horrifyingly gross, colonial um obsession I guess I don't know so I started researching Latin America and man oh man it does not get better um yeah uh so I I made this whole speech for rhetoric and um I thought I would read it here because um it was really interesting and uh I learned a lot of really interesting things and I think a lot of the underrated parts of activism, underrated and also, like, under-talked about, is just learning. Like, it's so important to be... I mean, okay, this sounds obvious for me to say, like, it's so important to be, like, educated (laughs) as an activist. But, like, I think there's a lot of things that are, like... Like, I can talk about global warming, but, like, I haven't read every single thing about global warming and the climate crisis. Um, I think it's, it's not so easy, like, as an activist, like, there isn't, like, a straightforward, like, read this, and then you're qualified to organize every single protest and every single walkout, um, it's not so linear, and it's sort of, like, an ever, ever changing thing, or, like, there's, there's a million things that you should read, and there's a million things that you should learn, um, and it's okay if you haven't read all of them and listened to all of them, but as an activist, part of your job is self, education so uh, with that i want to present this to you all so i can help you all self-educate yourselves um yeah let's let's begin did you know that of the 33 countries in latin america and the caribbean the united states has quote orchestrated or supported a violent coup or interfered in 29 of their elections? I know, I didn't either, until I began to research this topic. During this informative speech, I want to explain a few examples of the most shocking instances of these interferences. So first, I'll explain the situation in Chile, then I'll tell you the story of Nicaragua, and finally, I'll share what happened in El Salvador. All right, firstly, Chile. So the us began meddling in the 1970s then the u s supported um, basically after there's there's nothing confirmed of the u s um, interfering in like the very beginning um, but it's it's suspected um, a lot of people kind of say that Nixon was um, keeping a really close eye on uh, Chile so then the u s um, supported a in 1973, the U.S. supported a junta, supported the junta, which are like um, a terror group, and um, it, within a military coup to kill Allende, who was the democratically elected president of Chile at the time, and he was a known enemy of the United States due to his socialist ideals. After Allende's death Pinochet rose to power and began a twenty-five year-long dictatorship that the U.S. helped support economically. Uh, for example, here's a quote from the Wikipedia. It says, "The CIA actively supported the military junta after the overthrow of Allende, and that, and that it made many of Pinochet's officers into paid contacts of the CIA or U.S. military." even though some of them were known to be involved in human rights abuses. Um, kind of a horrifying example of this is um, when I was talking to my grandpa about this, about how I was studying Chile and the coup that happened there. He, which is so funny, I, I didn't know this, and I don't know why I didn't know this, but he actually has a degree in Latin American studies. Um, and he was talking about how he remembers... Um, reading and and hearing about this coup live because he was alive in 1973 um, and kind of the instability in the country afterward. One example um, that he remembers really vividly is that there were um, like stadiums of young people who just like disappeared. Um, It's really horrifying when you like the more you read, the more sad you get. Um, but yeah, I think young people were a really big target during this time and a lot of people's bodies were never found or, um, they were found, but no one took responsibility. Um, so it's really sad and while all of this was happening, the U.S. was literally funding oh my god, they were funding this, um, by making, I, um, making Pinochet's, some of his officers, like, paid contacts of the CIA, um, which is just disgusting, um, sorry, that's my dog in the background, um, so the second, the second country I want to talk about is Nicaragua, they were going through an extremely turbulent war in the 1980s, um, when a right-wing terror group called the Contras rose up with the intent of ousting the democratically elected Nicaraguan Socialist Party called SNLF, the U.S. feared socialism in the 1980s because of the Cold War, um, so they provided financial resources to to the Contras to support their work. At the time that the United States was providing this funding, the Contras were allegedly committing a number of crimes of, like, horrendous terrorism, including targeting healthcare clinics, targeting healthcare workers for assassination, kidnapping civilians, torturing civilians, executing civilians, including children, raping women, indiscriminately attacking civilians, and burning civilian houses in captured towns. The U.S., justified their funding of the Contras through the claim that socialism would be much worse. Um, and this horror only finally ended once the United States stopped funding the Contras, which is so, like, aggravating to hear because it's like, they, the United States kind of had the power to stop this terrorism and stop the terrorizing of this entire country, um, by simply not giving them money anymore and yet they didn't um until finally they did um but then they they stopped funding the Contras in 1990 and five Central American presidents joined together to force Nicaragua to hold a free election so the U.S. stopped the funding of the Contras meanwhile five Central American presidents worked with elected leaders to stabilize Nicaraguan politics um, and then the first free election happened s- successfully, um, in February of 1990. So coincidentally, almost the opposite thing happened in neighboring El Salvador. The country had an oppressive oligarchy leadership system. Um, and after a 1972 election rampant with fraud, which protected Carlos Romero, who's the president at the time but he was like there was a lot of election interference and stuff so he wasn't completely democratically backed um after that election citizens began to organize armed guerrilla groups to fight back however these groups were descendant of the communist party of el salvador and in fear of the communist agenda spreading to central america the reagan administration sent aid money to the country's military, which is controlled by the non-democratically elected um, government. (laughs) So as well, additionally, they also um, sent important U.S. military personnel to fight at high ranks in the Salvadorian military in an effort to suppress the guerrilla groups. After 10 years of war and a fifth of the population displaced, the UN were able to stabilize the country by one, working with politicians to replace the government-deployed police force with a civilian-based one, and two, adding constitutional amendments prohibiting the use of state military to play an internal security role within countrywide elections. It's not a surprise why... I haven't really heard of these stories before. And like, if I'm being honest again, just kind of like Iran, my, I feel really bad admitting this, but I think it's like, it's really important to talk about is that like, I guess before I knew much about Central America, my first thought kind of like seeing countries like Nicaragua and El Salvador on a map is like, oh, like those those countries are really dangerous. Like they're really like scary or like unstable or like there's lots of drugs in them and I mean it's really important to point out that a lot of the reason why that's the case is because of me and like the United States um so the U.S. is awful at critiquing itself and teaching uncomfortable history but a lot of the de- the destabilization that happened to these countries, like, I included some, um, years, and I hope when I said those dates that your first thought was, like, oh my gosh, that is so recently, um, and it is, it's so recent, like, everything that's happening here, like, there, there was some really sus things that happened with the United States and Costa Rica in, like, the 1930s and a lot of other countries, and th- these are just, like, a couple of instances in which, and, and like, again, like this, there are 29 countries in total that, um, the U S has interfered with of 33. So these are only a couple of countries. And within these, there are only a one story, um, in which there are in most countries, a couple. Um, so I really hope that, that this, this taught you something. Um, because I think, I as I said before like I really want to travel to a lot of these countries but I think it's it's important that I educate myself before I travel so I'm not just like going places gleefully and being like oh look that's a pyramid that's cool <laughs> like there's so many um things to recognize about the ways that my country has really unfairly destabilized so many other countries, um, and how, like, upsetting, and disgusting, uh, and, like, revolting, like, the outward destabilization has been, I mean, funding corrupt governments, and terror groups, I mean, it's, like, I, I don't know, like, I just think, like, how, like, how can this, how can this, okay, so, I just want to emphasize this for probably like the millionth time, but this is like the very 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 very, very tip of the iceberg, not just of like u s colonization or colonialism and imperialism globally but in the United States and in El Salvador and Nicaragua and Chile like There are so many, there are so many things I had to cut out. It's sort of, it's sort of funny that I'm not really like, I look, I I don't do speech and debate. I'm not like a rhetoric person, but every time I take a rhetoric class, my biggest struggle is that I need to cut my speeches down, Um, which I had to do for this speech. Um, And it's not even actually short enough. There's still more trimming than I need to do this weekend, <laughs> um but, yeah, I just really want to like emphasize that the stories I told you are incredibly simplified there's a lot of things missing there's a lot of more examples, like not just of in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties, but um other times too, where the u s has gotten involved with those countries and other countries that I didn't even name um, and it's, it's so gross, and it's so sad, but, and also, like, in a lot of ways, like, it, it's kind of, okay, it's not sadder, but it's, like, almost as sad that the, like, standard American school and, like, education system doesn't teach this, and, I mean, America has a disgusting history of not admitting all the times it's messed up which is not news to anyone obviously um for example yeah i have i have like learned very little about slavery and i i haven't even learned yeah no no, there's a lot of things that are like gaps in in my education um as i'm sure there are in other kids too but um Yeah, the U.S. kind of (laughs) sucks, but, and this is kind of the first point that I really wanted to, like, emphasize as, like, a takeaway from this, is just that, like, it, it's really annoying, okay, annoying maybe isn't the right word, but I, maybe infuriating, that, like, in a lot of ways, the American school system has, like, sucks the joy out of things that would ordinarily be really important like research in general or like research for the sake of research um which wasn't even this instance I did this for a school project but I ended up spending a lot of time outside of class working on this um and trying to understand it because a lot of the resources were really dense uh would be the word or hard for me to like fully understand, um, and and I definitely like faced this before. Like as I was saying in the beginning, like for a while I was a lot more excited about just like the idea of travel in general. Even though I knew exactly where I want, well, not exactly, but like I knew what region of the world I wanted to go to, and yet like I wasn't even really that interested in the culture or like the history as much as I was interested in just the idea of traveling, which. I guess is okay, but I think it's really important that you learn, um, about things in general, and it's, I think it's, like, important that you research, which actually has been really nice, um, since social distance learning started, for me at least, I feel like teachers have expanded projects to be a lot more unstructured in a way that, um, in a way that's, like, it, it allows a lot more creative freedom which I really really like um but yeah I really it's it's such a bummer that like I think the way that like like American students are sort of just programmed to like write the five paragraph essay over and over and over again until your hands bleed for like like, four years of high school, and then I I don't even know if you have to do that in college. You probably have to do harder things, like, five-page essays and more. Aren't theses, like, 100 and 150 pages? I don't know, but, um, I think when stuff is taught like that, it's really easy to never want to do it, um, on your own free time, which is understandable, but, um, with this extra time and hopefully your teachers have, um, expanded their freedom in the way that some of mine have, um, and even if they haven't, if you have just more time in general right now, it doesn't have to be an essay, it doesn't have to amount to anything, um, or it could amount to, um, like a really brief slideshow that you just show your parents, or, um, a notebook, like you could just be like, um, I'm just, like, I'm gonna- Or, like, commit to just fill, like, one lined page with um, stuff that you learned or something. I don't know. It could be anything you want. It could be, like, you learn about this and then you write a song or a poem or whatever. Like, I'm I'm not going to keep rambling because you get the gist. But I think it's, it's really important to research things because there are so many gaps. And there are so many examples of times when there's you're sort of disincentivized indirectly to not research things because you're doing it so much in school that it becomes really unfun. Um also just kind of secondly like critique, I went to so many resources. Again, obviously I think a lot of people learn about fake news and how to combat fake news and in general just how to like go to multiple sources to make sure you're getting the full picture. But um don't don't be afraid or upset or surprised if what you find is that America's messed up. (laughs) Um, In fact, that's the truth. So it's great that you're finding that out. Um, And finally, know that you always have so much more to learn. Obviously, there is so much I have to learn. There's like 29 countries I need to cover. I've covered like three. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like, just, just try to learn something over this quarantine break. Obviously, take time for yourself, care for yourself, um, but maybe just go down a Wikipedia rabbit hole, click on one thing. There is a phenomenal Wikipedia page, um, that I used as, like, a guiding, um, like a starting point for this project called the United States involvement in regime change in Latin America. The statistic I said about in the very beginning of my speech about 29 out of 30 countries, there is a map like first thing on the Wikipedia page that demonstrates this and shows um all the countries in green that have been affected. It's really shocking. <laughs> um and and really sad. So Um, if that's what you're into, do it. Also, though, like, this could be, like, like, really just make sure you structure your research around something that you're genuinely interested in. If it's not a place that you want to travel one day, it can be, I don't know, like, more about learning, like, where your parents came from or grew up or, like, if they're immigrants or your grandparents or your family way, way back or, um, you could just go to a world map and... Try to find a country that you've never heard of and research that. You could even probably research that name and then (laughs) American imperialism and you'll probably get some results, really, really sadly. Um, But that is, yeah, that's, that's kind of my, what I wanted to say this week. I just wanted to get it off my chest. I've been kind of buried in research for this project. And I really want to talk about it because I'm tired of just, like, going (gasps) at my computer every 10 seconds while I'm researching. Like, oh my god, this is so bad. So anyway, (laughs) Um, yes. so I'm trying out another new segment. It's called my mantra for the week. Um, I'm really into mantras. I think they're super fun. I really dig them. So I'm going to start sharing some of my favorites. Um, okay. So this week's goes like this. Oh, and this is a quote from Natalie Bright. It goes, belonging to yourself requires an ability to to take radical responsibility for yourself. The reward for doing so? Unshakable self-empowerment, self-worth, and self-belief. So I did some researching and Natalie is a life coach. Um, I made a list a while ago in my notebook of all the jobs that um, I want to do when I grow up it's not realistic, there's like 30 on there, one of them is a life coach, I think it would be really fun, (laughs) don't judge me, um, life coaches get a lot of, yeah, sometimes, so, um, but I think that this quote really spoke to me, I uh, just have been feeling a lot of feels lately, um, that, if you'd like to know more about you can text me and I'd love to talk to you about it. I don't want to put them all on the podcast because, um, yeah, I just, I'm kind of anti like monetizing all your feelings, but this quote really speaks to me because I think it's about like, <sighs> it's ra- radical responsibility, especially leading to radical self-empowerment, I think is important and like there's times where you can feel not in control um both literally as a kid but also just like in general on the inside um and it's important to not live life passively so yes that's my that's my mantra i hope you enjoyed this segment (laughs) super quickly thank you so much for listening to the end of the show i really appreciate it please follow the show the podcast on instagram and twitter they're linked down below my social media if there's a guest on the episode their social media is linked down below projects they're working on projects i'm into stuff i'm thinking about um if this show moved you made you think differently you can share it with a friend share it on social media send it in a text talk about it to a friend in person when we can finally see those. Um, And yes, thanks again so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week.